we're going to be learning a fascinating topic. It's called the living language of Lashon HaKadosh. I want to start off by thanking Moish and Naomi Sosha, who are sponsoring the share for the 56th yard site of his of Moshe's father, Rev Aaron Yoel Ben Rav Moshe Yehuda, Reverend um, Aaron J. Sosha, Olav Um 56 years is a long time, but he was a very active individual in the Young Israel Flatbush and Torah and Gemilas Chasadim of Kirov Rechoikim. And for those who don't know Moshe yet, Moshe's not here right now, but um, Moshe's, Moshe's daughter is Amy Englander, and the Englanders account for half of the 830 million. Um, <laughs> And so it's a very, very special individual who's joined our community recently in the last year. Also today, we're going to be learning Le'ili Nishmas, Yosef Tzvi, Ben Rav Pesach Halevi. So that's Mr. Harry Horowitz Elliot's father, whose yard is on Dalad Shvat, which is this coming um, Thursday. Mr. Shem, it should be Le'ili Nishmasoi. The Peiros are an indicator of, of the type of tree that they came from. And also Lili Nishmas Yerachmiel Ben Rabbi Ben Yeshayo, Dr. Tiger's father, Rabbi Tiger's father, who's outside is this this pastor also on Chav Zayin, and his sister, who's boy by Yom outside is today Shendel Leah Bas Yerachmiel, Mrs. Janet Graber Be'ezas Hashem Shabili Lili Nishmas, and she should have continued Aliyah Nisham for all the continued growth of the Mishpacha. So I want to be honest to, with you just about, about this topic is that it's too big to do in, in one week. So I decided we're going to go and see how far we can get in this particular topic. And um, I believe we're going to stop. There was two ideas I wanted to cover today. One is the, is, is the core value, the, the, the inherent value of the language of Lashon HaKodesh, of the Hebrew. And I wanted to get into the resurrection of Hebrew as it is in this current state, um, usage today. But... I don't think we're going to manage to fully get to the, sec- the second one because the more I research, the more there is to talk about it. There's more to learn about it. And it's a fascinating topic halakhically and socially in and of itself. So perhaps we'll see how far we get into that. But let's start at the very beginning. You know, the, the, I, I have a friend who talks about how uh, the, it's, a, it's, a bat, uh, it's a bus in, uh, I think it's um, a frat, and a, a, a seminary girl gets on the bus and she says to the driver, she says, Kama kesef ani chayevet. And, and so the bus driver, without skipping a beat, looks at her and he says, Shalosh Izim. <laughs> so sometimes we have to think to ourselves, sometimes we have to think to ourselves, how much are we really speaking Hebrew? And how much are we speaking a, 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 different, a, a different language altogether? Remember that when we look back at the history of the, we'll call our holy books, it is true that the Torah is mostly in, the Tanakh is mostly in Hebrew. There's two books which aren't, right? But they're, they're in Aramaic. But, but nonetheless, when you move to the Mishnah, the Mishnah is mostly in Hebrew. When you move to the Gemara, the Gemara is actually mostly in Aramaic. So there's a, there's, there's a shift even in what we're learning. We have, to, we, have, we have to be bilingual just to get through. And then when you go to Yeshiva, you have to be trilingual to understand the Yeshivish. A yeshiva charade, right? So, so there's, there's, there's numerous tiers of language that we go through, which are all holy and worthy languages. But let's start at the very beginning. Um, obviously, this is, re- this, is, this is related to this parasha because one of the distinguishing signs of our nation, which allowed us to, uh, to exit Egypt wholesomely as a nation was, they didn't change their language. When I ask the question, what does that mean? You know, what, does that mean that they were still speaking Lashon Ivri? 
Does that mean they had a particular accent of Egyptian? You know, there's, we have some very special languages in our Hebrew, right, in, in, our, in our history, right? So we have Ladino. Ladino was a sort of a, a Jewish Spanish kitchen language, which was very, very, you know, it's, it's almost the Yiddish of today. In the Eastern Europe, Ladino was in the Ottoman Empire from all the exiles of Spain. We've had some many, very, very interesting languages. What does it mean, Shaloi Shino Soshodam? What exactly was this core value which, uh, which, which kept them uh, strong? So now I'd like to investigate with you a few ideas, a few ideas, some of them are more, more uh, relevant or uh, perhaps um, more uh, um, distinguishable to us. Um, from, our, from our past, and something perhaps very, very new. Um, so let's start at the very beginning. Why is it called Lashona Kodesh? We, we have a, na an, a, a language, it's a, our national language, but why is it called the holy language? That's, a very, that, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the question. What is holy about this language that we speak? So the first and most uh, we'll call it rational, logical explanation, which is given, is famously given by the Rambam himself in Moran Avuchim. The Rambam says the following in Source 1. The Li... Why is it to me that it is called the holy language? Don't think that it's an exaggeration. You know, like we think our language is holy, and, you know, and the Greeks thought their language is holy. Don't think it's a, it's an exaggeration. Don't think it is a it is an exaggeration or or a, or a, um, a falsehood. Who emes? This language contains no words for marital intimacy. It has no description of the sexual organs of men and or women, um, and it is does not describe does not have exact words for bathroom activity. Isn't that interesting? So you say, you say, well, Rambam, you just used one of them, didn't you? Right, so the word Neshagel appears numerous times in Tanakh. What does it actually mean? So if you look, if you look in the, the, the dictionaries, it's an alternative word for the word Lishkov, which means to lie down. Now, Lishkov, does, it doesn't have any other connotations, but the Torah is using a euphemism. Now, as the Hebrew language uses a euphemism for it. Another example, he uses Tzoya, which means excrement. So, but the word actually just means out. Right, it just means to say, shesan just means a flow. Right, so again, so there's the, 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 word, the language itself borrows the words which are similar to the concepts, but it, it doesn't itself have particular words for it. It's always fascinating when you listen to Hebrew today, and you, you, know, and you hear people trying to you know, swear or say bad words, so they're just reapplying all, you know, all the words in, in negative ways. Right, so if you, think, if, you, if you think about that, right, so um, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating to, to see. So the Ramah says that the language itself doesn't contain, doesn't contain the, the words necessary for negative languages. They don't have a well called a first usage word. Um, 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 word. They use borrowed words and hinted words. And the point of this was, These things don't need to have definitions or names. The point is that we're not supposed to be talking about these things. This is a bathroom conversation. You know, as, as wonderful as Shrek was, you know, and like all the, you know, the bathroom, the slapstick humor of, of our day and what every comedian thrives on 
is not what we're supposed to be talking about. That's not supposed to be our, our, our lingua franca. It's not supposed to be the, our, 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 the, the topic of our conversation. So the, the Hebrew language is, is one step removed from that, removed from that. And that's why our language is called Lashon HaKodesh. According to the Rambam, if you would ask the Rambam over here, is there anything unique particularly about this Semitic language in the family of, there's a, there's a special family of languages that it's, that it's part of. Is there anything unique about it? The Rambam may say, not necessarily inherently, but just happens to be that it, it's it's a cleaner language than other languages, <coughs> which is why which is why it's called Lashon Hakodesh. Right? No, he isn't giving us necessarily a historical sense of the, of this. He's not necessarily giving us a a uh, we'll we'll call it an inherent description. But nonetheless, it's a practical it's a practical modification which the which the language has. Very very fascinating. The only thing is like this is if you were to go with the Ramam's definition of why this is called Lashon HaKodesh, there would be another way, if you were to be more precise, why, what, lang- what should this language be called? It should be called? It should, be, it should be called clean language. So we should, have, we should have the cleanest language in the world. Right, that's, that's what you should call it. <coughs> Kodesh doesn't necessarily mean that, right? Kodesh literally means holy or separate, right? So there's something, there's something more about it. It's a little complicated to, to understand why that is. That's exactly the critique of the Ramban. The Ramban asks and he says, the Ramban's description of this language is a <coughs> clean language. And so that's not really necessarily what, uh, what, uh, what, we're talking, what, what, what we're talking about over here. So the Ramban has an alternative. The Ramban, is his, uh, his later colleague, the Ramban, also lived in Spain, was also ex- um, was exiled from Spain. But the Ramban lived just in the, in the turn of the, over the next century, so he has access to most of the Ramban's writings, and he quotes them all the time. So, well, but the fascinating thing is when you, when you quote, the Ramban quotes many people. The Ramban do, doesn't um, hold back any punches when he thinks that he, somebody needs to be put into shape. So, for instance, when he quotes the Ibn Ezra, and he feels that the Ibn Ezra is incorrect, he, he spares no words to... To say that. And similarly, in his commentary on the Gemara, the, oh, actually on the Rif, at the very back of the Gemara is Rabbi Yisrael and he comments on the Bala Ma'or, you know, he says some very sharp things about people he doesn't like, um, and, uh, which, is, which is fascinating. You know, some, sometimes you'll say, you know, things like, it was better that he, did, you know, he didn't even write this. You know, that, you know, it's a waste of ink for him to have penned this, right? Not loy you know, I don't want his honey or his sting. Meaning to say, uh, the Ramban, the Ramban was very sharp about his things. There, there are a number of individuals that he doesn't, he, he speaks with the utmost respect, and it's important to know this. Rashi on the Torah. So Rashi, as he, he says in his introduction, he gives the the highest crown. And the Rambam, the Rambam, as, although he disagrees with the Rambam vociferously in many places, he calls him Harav. The Rav, right? So today when we say the Rav, it depends which community you're in, but it means different people. When the Ramban said Harav, it meant the Rambam. Okay, so the, the, uh, as, different, as difficult and as di- different as the opinions they had, he has a tremendous respect to him. And here's what he says in the, s- the second source, in the second paragraph. He says, No, no, I have a different reason, says, uh, uh, says the Ramban. Why is the language of the Torah called the holy language? It's because all the holy things that we talk about were transmitted in the vehicle of this language. That's simply the language Hashem speaks. Im Naviav with his prophets, Vim Adasai with his community, his congregation, Anachi Veloyelacha, when he gave the Asiras the Dibras, the Shah Dibras, Satara Vanuvois, and the other prophecies, the Chai Nikra Bishmois of Akadoshon, Kael, Elohim, Tzvakois, Shakai, the Yudhe, Vashem God on the Yuchad, all the names of Hashem are in this language, Uboi Bara Alamoin, he creates the world with it, we'll get to that hopefully, 
וכל השמוס השמיים והארץ וכל השבום ומלאכו וכל צהוב לכולם בשם יקרא מיכאל גבריאל ולא שנה הוא. So you look in the Torah, it's the language of the Torah. Everything. Hashem's word, the names of Hashem, the names of his prophet, the names of his angels, they're all in this Lashon. It obviously is, is holy. It doesn't explain why, necessarily, right? He's just saying descriptively, this is what we see, is that Hashem speaks in this language. He doesn't need to translate it. By the way, there are other languages in the Torah. So, for instance, we do have quotations. Where, do we, where else do we have quotations of other languages in the Torah? Right, so we know that Lavon, Lavon calls, uh, you know, makes, makes a bilateral peace accord with, with Yaakov Avinu, which, by the way, comes back to haunt them later on in Sefer Shmuel, where he says, you know, we're going to establish this pillar, and they say, you know, we're not going to the end of Pashas we're not going to go across this only for trade, no, not for war. And so he calls it Gal Aid. Yaakov calls the Galaid, which is a pillar of a testimony, and he calls it Yagar Sadusa, which is in Aramaic the same thing. Sadusa is testimony, Yagar, right? So, it's, so we see other languages are used. It's not like the Torah is ignoring the fact that there are other languages. But the point is that everything our Kodesh Baruch Hu says is in this language, which means to say it is automatically Lashon HaKodesh. It's interesting, it's almost as if, just to think about the way the Ramban is describing it, in Halacha, we have, we, we have uh, a notion of what's called a Tashmish Mitzvah, which means to say that there's something which is used for the sake of a mitzvah. We treat it respectfully, even afterwards. It may not require the same level of Geniza, but we treat it respectfully. So let's say we have a Ushayka Lulav. So he's a par branch, uh, you know, holy. Not necessarily, but you take it, you make it holy because you use, them, you use it for the mitzvah. <laughs> so uh, that means to say there's inherent Kedusha. Why? Because it was the vehicle of a holy experience. <laughs> so the Ramban seems to say over here that at the very least, at the very least, he's adding more actually. At the very least, it was something which the Ribbon Shalom himself used. It's, a, it's the vehicle of, um, of it. He doesn't explain the why of it, necessarily. He doesn't, he doesn't say why, why this, uh, it gets to this point. Are, are you at all? No. Okay, good. So let's, let's, let's dig a little, a little deeper. So we have level one is the Ramban. Ra- Rambam, where the Rambam says it is a, it is a king <coughs> language, doesn't have the, uh, the words for, um, for various activities. Um, and, um, and the Ramban says, no, it's, it's not just that it's also the language of God. It's the language of, of Hashem himself. Let's dig it deeper. Let's go, keep going step by step. The next level I- is about how language works, the convention of language. <coughs> Generally speaking, language is a convention, so we all agree that we're going to call that, that, that thing outside a tree, so it's a tree, right? Does that, does that mean to say that the word you know, itself has any you know, particular meaning? Well, it depends which language English was derived from, whether it's the Germanic roots or it's the Latin roots. <laughs> depends what, where we, we are derived from. But let's assume we, we started a language, a language uh, from, from scratch. So all the people in a particular you know, region of hunter-gatherers, you know, anthropologically all said, you know, you know they're going to say, horse, right? That thing, right? So it makes, it makes it easier if everybody uses the same word for that thing, right? Otherwise, you're going to be riding the wrong vehicle, right? So, you know, you're going to be selling the wrong item. So we all agree that that's going to be called horse. But does the word horse relate to that thing? We could have called it brick as well, but it happens to be that's the word we chose, right? There's a certain convention in, the word, in, in languages and how they were formed. So now, um, so the, 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 the Shiure Das, this is Rav Bloch, the earlier Rav Bloch, Rav Avram Insoka Cohen Bloch, they were, they, they were, of course, the founders of the Rosh Yeshiva. Which Yeshiva? Tells Yeshiva, right? So Rav Elimeh Bloch afterwards, we, we have a, a, a dynasty of the Bloch family, in fact, when, when I grew up in South Africa, the Rosh Yeshiva, the Yeshiva Gadol in South Africa, which I, which I had the opportunity of learning at, was, um, was Rav Goldfein, Rav Israel Goldfein, who was a Talmud Muvak of Rav Gifta. So Rav Gifta was, of course, the continuation of the Yutel Tells Malach. It's a very unique approach in the Yeshiva world. 
Um, and so that there's a there's a lot of kinship that that, that I personally feel to to, to the to the to the tells the tells approach the term to things and, he, and the Shire Dice is a safe which we should all have a chance to learn. It's so brilliant, such insight insights into 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 what we do on a daily basis. So here's what he says in source three. He says, you need to know something. Lashon HaKodesh is not similar to other languages. In that, the name does not relate to the etzem, to the idea of the, lang- of the, of the item it's describing. Language is simply a convention of what is accepted. They all agree that we're going to call this a We know that every language is rooted in the experiences of that nation. Every, uh, every nation ex- uh, will call it invented from its own heart, from its own character, its national identity, its language. Because of its perception. So the experiences that that nation has of the things around it actually is going to now affect the way they call things. It is only as it, it affects the people as they are seeing and experiencing it. You know, not, they're not necessarily everything is an onomatopoeia, but the point is that different language, different cultures, you know, and famously they say, and this is again, this is questioned academically, you know, the Inuit nation has over 200 words for snow because that's what they talk about. You know, like, how's the day? Well, it's been snowing today. You know, so they, they have to have lots of ways to describe it. So there's each, each culture now decides based on its experience what they're going to call things conventionally. Lashon HaKodesh actually describes the inherent essence of an item. The names were actually given in Lashon HaKodesh. What does that mean? So when we heard the word Sus, that means to say that HaKodesh Baruch Hu, actually, who named it Sus? Adam. So when Adam gave it the name Sus, what he says wasn't that just, you know, experientially, that's the thing which is going to be a trade item and gets me from place A to place B faster than the, the legs, right? It, it actually means to say that somehow inherently that is what it is. So he gives, he gives two examples. Let's take the word Mitzorah, for example. Name of a parasha, it's a, it's a, condition, uh, a condition of leprosy or spiritual leprosy. It is a contraction of the words to bring, to express negative um, ideas or, or, or a negative name. That means, You want to know how you get this condition? This condition is an expression of what you just did. This is its real essence. Another example. Another example. What does the word mean? Zacha. It means to? Earn. To earn. Right? Right? Zacha. Ezer is a loy zacha. 
Kenegdo, there's numerous red times where the Gemara talks about that. Zoch of Metzia, the Gemara talks about. Shehunucha, the Loshon HaKodesh, Al Kinyan Vasagas Dava, which means acquisition. Zeu Mipnei, Kifi Yafi Dias Ames, according to the truth of the truth of knowledge, Komash Adam Asig Bolamaze, who matters HaKodesh Baruch Hu, Bad Zuchuyosov Haruchanios. It is related to the word Zuchus, which means merit. So, how do you acquire? It's only through merit. So when, I tell, when, when we say a basic thing, you acquire it, it means that you must have the necessary ba- spiritual bank account to get it. So the language actually describes the experience itself, exp- the, actual, the, the, actual, uh, the actual idea itself. What was that? Every word in the language. So what's interesting is, is, if you go through, it's very fascinating, if anybody has an opportunity, there was a book penned after his passing called The, the Etymological Dictionary of, he- of the Hebrew Language by Rav Hirsch. Rav Hirsch is one of the people who does this a lot. But he, but he doesn't do it categorically. He does it, you know, when, he's, when, you, when you read the Torah. He, get, he says, oh, by the way, you know, all the word like Nachal. Nachala, Nachal is a river, and Nachal, Nachal, and Nachal is a valley. Nachala is an inheritance. And he talks about the word Nun Ches Lamed is a notion of flowing from high to low as an example. So it expresses itself in numerous examples. Then you also see, by the way, that Rav Hirsch goes into further these. There's five different places in the mouth where, or, or, actually in the, in, in the, the oral cavity, where we express different, le- different w- w- words. So, you know, the, what we call in English the plosives are from the lips. And so there, there's, there's a group of letters which come from that area. And there's gikak, which comes from the palate. And there's, uh, there, 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 there's a group of five letters which just come from the, the garon. Resh, ayin, ches, right? So, if we say it properly. Um, Aleph is not from the same place. Um, but nonetheless, when we, so the, the Rav Hirsch understands that, that those groups are also internally interchangeable as well. Which is why Rav Hirsch will often do things, and you think, well, how's he doing that? You know, cheses and ions, and so on. That, you know, there's a lot of interchangeability, and he, he, he goes into the equation. So it is fascinating to do that. And if anybody ever has a word where you don't understand what it is, don't go to the gematrias. Like, that, that's, uh, we'll call that, that's, that's a different channel. <coughs> go f- first to Rav Hirsch and see what Rav Hirsch actually says about how these words operate. So every word we don't know necessarily. But, there's a, but, but there, there is, there's a meaning, there's an inherent meaning. And that inherent meaning can express itself in numerous words which are all related to the same conceptual basis. That's, uh, that's what he says. He's giving examples here. So, so uh, the, it's probably so that's not unique to and Hebrew. Every language uh, has roots uh, that come from different languages, and they're expressive of other words that are built on them. And it, an ex- Elliot, you're a hundred percent right. You're 100% right. So. <coughs> we, we have not reached the bottom of the barrel yet, so, uh, so, uh, so it's, you're, you're right, but at this point in time, what he's saying is, is that over here, if you look at numerous Hebrew words, there is, there, we'll call it the spiritual underpinnings of those words are connected, not just the conventional underpinnings, right? So it gives, it gives meaning as to how I get there. Um, which means, by the way, that what he's arguing is, is that there's a lot of why embedded in the what, right? So every time... We try to understand what's going on. A person got saras. Why? Motzi shemra. A person was zoyche. Why? Because of schus. Meaning the why is embedded. In t- yes, Sean. Okay. Common what you said. It may be true that all languages are built on roots and others, but ultimately it came back to a convention. The original source of the convention. What he's saying here is that this is point is that there is a certain intrinsic nature. There's an essence to it. There's a basic essence to it. And I want to come to that point, I want to see why that is. Why is that so? But we, we need to get a few more steps. But, but just by the way, just as a, as a, as a break over here between, the, between these next steps, you should know what's the only unbroken code in all of, uh, of code-breaking history? 
The only the only unbroken code in all of in all of code breaking history. There's a book called Code Breaker. If you want to, it's, it's by Simon Singh. Very fascinating book. Um, we talk about the history of codes. Very very fascinating book. Um, for teenagers who are interested in code breaking at the time, um, it's a very very fascinating uh, fascinating book. Um, history of codes. There's only one code which really has not been broken. That is used in the Second World War. The Navajo Indians. And the reason is that the reason it was unbreakable was because it's a different mother, a basis of mother tongue. You said the Japanese had no way of breaking it down. You can't break it, in the, break it down in the same sentence division where verbs are used in a particular way. It, the, the languages operate so, so completely different. I mean, to be honest, they didn't have so long, right? It wasn't such a long time. But nonetheless, <coughs> this is, that, 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 that is how different the languages are. So perhaps next week, if we have a chance, what I'd like to do is in, in terms of the devolution and the reconstitution of languages to focus on, with a, um, focus on the notion of the, what's called the Dorafalaga, where languages devolved, at least in the Torah's description of it, and how they were reconstituted into, into, into or the movement back <coughs> towards unity again. So I was just going to actually ask yeah. Satiba, when we're young, we all learn that Hashem just created all these different languages. So why are we talking about where languages come oh, great. from? Great, so that's, that's what we're going to try to do next week. I mean, it's a shame we have a little more time. Is, is, is like, let's, let's, let's look at where the Torah describes the breakdown of language and what, what actually happened there, because you're right, it sounds like, it's, it sounds like they're all from one source in the, in the beginning. We'll have to see how that, how that works, historically speaking, archaeologically speaking. Elliot, we're going to have to have a conversation. Um, that's a shame. Um, so, that, that, I wanted to dig, dig down to two more levels. The, and the Maharal in, um, describes this, and I, I want to actually learn this with you because these are so, so important. And we've heard these ideas floating around, but this is really, th- these are really important ideas. The Maharal says in, in, in his sefer called Nesivas Olam, in the, the, uh, in, and he goes through various concepts in Judaism, and we, this is called the Nesiva Hatznios. What we're going to do is not the whole source and source for, but he, we're going to go into an idea where he, he, he digs it deeper. It's not simply that it's a, a fundamentally d- a defining na- um, language. It's not just all, uh, like the Ramban says where it's the language that Hashem uses to speak. There's more than that. Here's how he expresses it. In, we're going to drop down in, into the fourth source um, to about eight, nine lines into it. The last word in the line is Lashon. Um, two words from the end of the line is Omnam Lashon, by little periods. He says, Omnam Lashon HaKodesh when a human being speaks Hebrew, he is expressing the inner holiness that that person has inside of them. What does that mean? Every human being has two languages. One is definitionally attached to the inner source of who they are. Vashen, in the second one, Hulashon Hamoni, is what called the language of the masses, what you need to get by to get bus tickets. We live in the world, and in that world we express ourselves in that language. We should think to ourselves, what's the balance in our lives of those two? Okay, just that's worthwhile thinking about like, how much do we use either. Why is it different? He says, because, and the Ramban referenced this, is the world is created with the inner one, with the world called the Holy One. What does that mean? The Midrash tells us the world was created with this language. This is the language of the Malachim. So that language is put into the holy aspect of a human being, which of course we, we call the neshama, which means to say that the human being, as, as, as is explained, is a composition <coughs> of two set, different sets of forces. It's the physical force and the spiritual force. The unity of those creates a human being. So we're half animal, we're half 
majestically um, an angel. And, the, and the language that we speak reflects either of those. So when we speak English, when we speak a language, we are expressing what we'll call conventionally how we get a by, a by as a sophisticated um, sapien, as a sophisticated primate in the societies that we've created. And then when we speak Lashon HaKodesh, we're expressing something deeper in ourselves, which is definitionally part of our creation process, separate to, to, to the animals. Um, and that's why he says, That's why the Tanakh is written specifically in this language. And that's a way of accessing that part of ourselves. Now, by talking, we're expressing who we are. So the world came to full expression by the creation of the last element, which is humanity. And the human comes to fruition by expressing himself, by not just thinking, but by talking. And therefore, by speaking Lashon HaKodesh, we're expressing the real reason of creation, which is in, our, in, in ourselves lying dormant most of our lives, until we give it expression, which is through the language of, uh, the rhythm of, of Lashon HaKodesh. Very fascinating way of looking at this. <coughs> so the, the Maral saying is that when we are talking, when we're learning Torah, we've just been learning Torah in Lashon HaKodesh. It's not just my summary of, of what I think the Maral is saying. We've, we've just looked at the Lashon HaKodesh of the Maral. And as we're expressing that, as we talk about this, <coughs> as we listen, as we read it, there's something triggering in our inner self, which is, the, which is push, put there by the Rebbein Shalom himself, which is now being activated through this, through this expression. <coughs> Why? What's the, what, what's the mechanism over here? Because that's how he created the world. He created the world with this language. What does that mean? Now, we all hear these famous Midrashim. Histakel Ba'oraisa Ubarayama, which, by the way, is in Aramaic. Right? So, the, the, so right, because where, where does it come from? Zohar. Right? So, Histakel Ba'oraisa, that Akash Baruch looked into the Torah and created the world. But what does that mean? Like, you know, Hagosh Baruch went to the Aron HaKodesh and pulled out the Torah. You know, it says, Beresh is borrowed, that came out of Shemaim Aretz. Okay, we're going to need Shemaim and Aretz. Right, that does, that, it, it, so that's childish. Shira, that right? <coughs> okay, good. So, there, so we're going to, there's, Kabbalistically speaking, let's try to un, 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 unpack this idea. Uh, there seems to be some sort of primordial energy, which seems to be <laughs> expressed in Lashon HaKodesh, which is being unpacked into what we see the world today. And when, therefore, when we have access, when we give access to it, somehow some of it's hidden in us, we're allowing that out again. So what is that? What is that primordial energy? How does this work? So um, let's, take a, let's take a quick look. This is actually in the Shara, the, 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 the Tanya, Rav Shnir Zaman of Liadi, in the first section, the first chapter of what is called the Shara Yichud Vaimuna. Very, very famous. Very famous idea. But let's learn it. Let's really learn. Let's try to appreciate what's going on over here. Very beautiful description of how creation unfolds. Um, it's actually remarkably accessible, this, this, this particular chapter. This is the following. He makes Siv, it is written, Hashem, forever Hashem That's a very powerful pasuk. Your word is stands in heaven. This pasuk is used in numerous contexts. You'll see sometimes this pasuk is used when talking about a, a bad gezerah. We sometimes use it in the following way. We say, Hashem, your word should, be, should stay in heaven, meaning, and not filter down to this world. That's the way we use it. I remember when I used to go, when, when, when I was in Yeshiva, we used to go to the Tefillah Barabims for Gush Katif before the disengagement. So we go to Tefillah, and, and this would be one of the psukim that used in the Vraya. Korosh Baruch, there's a gezerah. 
don't don't let it don't let it crystallize. Don't let it come down. So what is this? What is how does he understand this? This pasuk? He says, your, your word is standing in heaven." So when Hashem said, Yehi Rokia, those words, let there be a Rekia, let there be a, I love the translation, thank you, what do they say? Firmament, right, of course, we all know what firmaments are, right? <laughs> so let there, let, there, let there be a firmament which is going to stay in the middle of the heaven. Sometimes the English translation really just, just don't get it, right? So, um, so the, let there be this Rekia, that means to say that those letters, literally those Hebrew letters stood there in, in, that, in that space, holding up the heavens. And they are clothed, their spiritual reality is clothed by a physical reality, and they remain there forever. To give, to give we'll call it life energy to that element of the creation. The words of Hashem will be established forever. That doesn't mean that Hashem's prophecies will be fulfilled. That means that the words itself are in fact the pillars of creation. That's what he's saying. Um, and his words are living and existing forever. If for a moment those words were to disappear, let's say the words rakia, which is existent in the world, actually were to disappear, and return to their source, how you call Hashemayim, it would all return to primordial chaos. Right? So the, 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 the reality that we witness, the physical reality we're witnessing, is being propped up by a spiritual reality which is holding it in place. And it will be as if they never existed were they to be retracted. As it would be before Hashem says, Yehi Rakia. Mamash. By the way, just, just, to, to point, just a little scientific... Tidbit over here. <laughs> so, when looking at the Big Bang, the, you know, and the, 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 coalesce, the coalescing of the world as we know it today, famously, there, is the, 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 there are a number of parameters which are necessary for the Big Bang to exist. So, for instance, when there's this, this huge explosion of energy which continues to expand and is, is continuing to expand, according to some theories, is contracting and expanding, <coughs> but as energy is expanding at that, that first moment, there are a num number of parameters which are necessary for that expansion to have occurred. So, for instance, you need to have a certain balance, a certain window between too much gravity and too little gravity. For, if there was too much gravity in the, um, at that point in time, the expansion wouldn't, wouldn't have coalesced. It would have simply just closed in upon itself. If there was too little gravity, then everything would have just continued expanding at a rate where nothing would be able to coalesce internally. There's, there's a number of, there's actually seven parameters which are necessary for the coalition, the coalescing of the Big Bang to operate in a way where there would be universe, um, clumpiness, gravity, there's a number of, of different parameters and, and the window of existence, the window of possibility of each of these existing are, are infinitesimally small numbers. We're talking about like I believe 10 to the negative 67 for gravity. We're talking about very, very small windows of, 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 of <laughs> in that first moment. So you know, like, you know, you know, you read, you read, you read the, the, the Tanya, you say, yeah, 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 you know, if, you know, if the word hadn't been there, what, is, you know, what does it really mean? Scientifically speaking, there are certain parameter, inner parameters that, that, that allow the world to exist as it is. And what he's saying is, spiritually, the word rakia is one of those mamoras, is one of those ideas which is still there holding it together. Why is it? We have four forces, right? 
We have gravitational force. There's, there's four forces. There's intermolecular forces. There is um, the, the force between electrons and, pro and, and protons. Where, where, and the strong force, the weak force, why, why do those exist? Like, where do those come from? What's, what's holding them together? Where's the glue? We, we, can, we can describe them. We can even predict where the possibility of an electron may be. That, but, but, but why is it there? Why, why does that exist? What force is holding that all together? Why is gravitational pull so much, more, so much weaker, thank God, than the intermolecular force? Why? We, we don't know these things, but there's, there's certain parameters holding the world together. So what he's saying is, is that, as an example, the word marikia is one, of those, is one of those forces which is holding together one aspect of the universe. Were it to disappear, though that part of the world would collapse um, retroactively. Now... The higher and the lower worlds. Everything you look at around you has some force which is feeding it to exist. Were that force to disappear, it would no, it would disapparate. It would no longer exist. Vizesh Amar Ha'arizal, he quotes Rav, Rav, uh, Rav Luria, who says, Shegam bedomeim mamish kamoi avonim va'afar v'mayim. Let's take basic, you know, basic material, basic matter that we see around us. Stones, dust, water. Yesh bechinas nefesh v'chius ruchonios. There is a certain level of spiritual life to that. So in that stone, there's a certain level of life. What does that mean? There's some sort of spiritual energy which is moving from what we'll called the Ma'amara, which is one of the ten building blocks of creation, through the letters into what this is. So he, and so therefore he says, Ah, read through Bereshus, Genesis 1, and you're not going to see the word Evan. It doesn't exist there. So, where, you know, that was, that, was, that was artificial. How did it work? Where did it come from? Right, so how, how does that work? He says, no, it is constituted through what's called the combination of letters through what he calls the, 100, the 231 gates. What do that mean Kabbalistically? What does that mean just to appreciate Tzirufei Oysias? This is a concept you hear a lot of times. Tzirufei Oysias, the combination of letters. It's a very powerful concept. The way, the way, the way to sort of think about it is the following. Is, you know, like when we look at the periodic table of elements, so we see, you know, and, and uh, you know, over the last 200 years, they've discovered a huge amount of this, you know, going, um, it was a very fascinating time. When, they, when, when these were all being discovered, you could isolate elements. And you, you know, this is no longer just a metal, but you know exactly what element is in the metal. Humphrey Davies did a lot of work in this, but through electrolysis <laughs> 200 years ago. Very fascinating history as to the development of the periodic table of elements. What the, what the, what the, the Balatani is saying is that there's a spiritual table of elements, which means to say, and, and on it, there's actually really 22 qua 27 elements. And they are the alphabet. There's Aleph, there's Beis, there's Gimel, there's Dalet. There's 22, and then there's another, there's another, there's Sophios. The, so, the, the last letters are also operate differently, which means that each letter in and of itself has a certain force, has a certain <coughs> spiritual definition. And just like when I do put together H2SO4, which means, 
Yeah, do not, yeah, don't, don't, yeah, so, uh, so it's important to know these, these equations, right? So when you know about sulfuric acid, right, we don't, we don't mix that with food, right? So you, it's important to know that equation, right? So when you see that on the bottle, you know, might not have a skull and crossbones, you need to know that to keep it, to keep it away from kids. So H2SO4 means when you have two hydrogen ad um, atoms and you have a, sul uh, a sulfur atom and four oxygen atoms, you combine those in a particular way with a particular right amount of energy and you have a new entity called a sulfuric acid, right? So in that, you've taken certain elements which create a new element, which means to say if I take the, word, the, 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 the element, we'll call the spiritual element, Aleph and Abayz and Anun Salfis, there's a new element of energy in the world which is called Evan, which means stone. It didn't just come into being, it is a combination of different energies which now exist as translated into a physical world as, as an Evan. So you may not see the word Evan in Genesis 1, but you do see the, the building blocks for creation which translated and connected to each other actually turn into it. So coming back to, so Elliot, just to, just to come back to, your, to, to your, your question, it's true that many languages have, we'll call it, you know, we'll call it mother groups of ideas connected to each other. What he's saying is, is it's more than that. He's saying over here that, that actually every letter itself has a definition. Every letter combined <coughs> with another letter creates a different result. So for instance, when I take NaCl, which is salt, right? Salt is one of the most stable and safe substances, obviously everything in, everything in, ba um, in, in, in balance. But NaCl, but if you were to take sodium by itself as an example, Sodium reacts with oxygen all the time, so you have to actually cover it in petroleum. You can't, you can't, you can't, uh, when alcohol, you can't allow it to be exposed to the air. Put, put, put sodium, pure sodium in water, it explodes, right? Put sodium in a tongue, it'll go through your tongue and the bottom of your jaw, right? I mean, sodium is a very dangerous and unstable substance by itself. Chlorine, look at the Germans with chlorine. Forget the Second World War, look at the First World War when they started using chlorine gas. It's heavier than oxygen, goes along the ground, they use in the trench warfare when the wind, wind was blowing in the right, in the right direction for them kills you, suffocates you internally, fills your lungs up, you die, oh, right? Die. So, so what do you do? You take, you take chlorine and sodium, put the two together, and you get one of the most stable salts in the world. So you take two very different elements, put them together, and you have a completely different outcome, right? So you take two different elements. You take, you take a, a, a samach, a vav and a, uh, and a samach, and you have to put them together. Now we have sus, we have horse. But it means to say that definitionally, there are three types of energy, or really two types of energy, which are combined <coughs> to create this entity, which we call a horse which is the way the, the, the time is looking at it. Very different way of looking at things. It also is important when understanding our names. Right? Our names aren't just, you know, happenstance that we happen to have names. I mean, like a person whose name is David, you have to understand what the word David actually means. What does it really, what does the Dalit mean? I would highly recommend, if anyone has a chance, there's a book by our monk called The, 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 uh, the Hebrew al um, Alphabet. It was published originally. The, uh, the Wisdom of the, of the Hebrew al uh, of, uh, Alphabet. And it is, um, um, it is published a number of years ago in art school. I saw a reprinting. I was able to get my hands on a copy um, recently. And he goes through literally every letter. And he says, what's the history of it? How the Gomorrah says about it? So he dips sometimes a little mystically into some of the ideas to understand what the building blocks of creation are. Numerically, there's numerous codings as to what's going on over here. That's what the, the Balatanya says. That's what, that's what creation is happening. So we'll have, we'll call it, 10 general platforms called Maamoros, and into those platforms there's a certain amount of energy translated into 22 different pieces, which are the letters, and recombined gives you reality around us. That's, uh, that's what makes it special. Let's, let's, oh, you see, this is why we're not going to get into Hebrew today. There's one, one last fascinating halacha, just, uh, and this will perhaps give us, 
You know what? Actually, I'll, I'll leave the halakha to, to, to tomorrow. I want to just one last interesting source, and then we'll, we'll hold it for today. And next week, in Hashem, we'll talk about the devolution and reconstitution of, of language. And, and this, is, this is over here. You'll notice that when was the first time that we stopped really speaking Hebrew as a nation? When did we stop? When, was it, when did that, when did that uh, cease to be as a, as a national entity? So it's really to the first, the first exile when we moved to Bavel and we sort of adopted more Aramaic. And even when we returned, you know, when you read Sefer Ezra and Nehemiah as an example, the end of Nehemiah talks about the Jews coming back to the second commonwealth where the second Basin English was allowed to be built. And there's a lot of Jews who are speaking different languages. They are Medabrim, Loshan, Ashdodis. It says they're speaking Ashdodian, which probably means some form of, you know, the local languages over there. Which is why, why the Ramam says, in fact, that Anshay Knesset saw it fit to create the Siddur at the time. They created that time because people were not able to access Loshan Akkadish in the same way. What happened? Like, what, you know, like why, why was it so, that was 70 years, it was so fast, that from then onwards, Hebrew has not really been the staple of our, of our national conversation. Um, so, Rav, 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 the Chasm Sofer says a very fascinating thing. He says, um, in Parshas Vayigash, a very interesting insight. And he said that, that the Lashon HaKodesh is also something which is so lofty, which has so much inner depth to it, that it preserves its existence by only being allowed to be spoken in a, we'll call it, in the pristine environment of the land of Israel. And the moment that we, uh, we the Jewish nation, lose our connection to the Jewish homeland, then the language itself departs as part of the national conversation. So even though we returned, the second base of English was far from the first one. We were paying Persian taxes. There was a wall in it called the Wall of Shushan, right? Meaning it was a very small and humble co- uh, base of English compared to, the, compared to the first one. Why? Because the Lashon HaKodesh, we weren't worthy necessarily of the Lashon HaKodesh at that time. Which is now the springboard for a very fascinating question is, is that today, a remarkable almost 8 million people today are speaking Hebrew. Are eight million people, a language which was not the palace, was not the, the language spoken in the streets for 2,000 years at least, <coughs> which is a remarkable, it's never happened. There's no other language in the world which has ever experienced that, which is dead and be reconstituted as a living language for eight million people. The question is, 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 is that a good thing? Is that, is that something, is that, is, that, is that a high, is that a low? Is that something which brings us high or is, it, or is it something which maybe we're not worthy of? There's a lot of discussion in the last 100 years about exactly this point because as the resurgence of Zionism came in, the question is, is should we still be speaking Hebrew? Do we rely on our godless languages? Are we worthy of the language of Lashon HaKodesh? Which is going to be the discussion next week. So thank you very much.